all you have. You are now tuned in to Hawkins Rays. So just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, my fantastic Far, Far Away family? How is everyone doing today? I hope all is well on your side of the galaxy. Nothing new and exciting on mine. Same old stuff. I haven't got any news about the other gig yet. It's like any other thing in life. Hurry up and wait. But what can you do? Now I want to get to the Star Wars stuff right off the bat because chapter 10 is kind of long and some Star Wars news that just was released that I want to get to before we get too far in. But you know where we're going to start at? It wasn't even hard to guess, was it? The Mandalorian. And this episode was really good in my opinion. They brought back the seismic charge, which I liked a whole lot, and then showed his face to accomplish the mission. I think he cares about Groku more than he cares about some tradition. He puts his life on the line more and more for this little green kid. But I think it's about time that we get to some news and rumors. And we have to start with all the Star Wars announcements that just were released. And I'll let Miss Kennedy tell you in her own words. Today I'm excited to share with you that John and Dave are concurrently developing two new spin-off series exclusively for Disney Plus. One, The Rangers of the New Republic, and the other featuring fan favorite, Ahsoka Tano. Set within the timeline of The Mandalorian, these interconnected shows, along with future stories, will excite new audiences, embrace our most passionate fans, and will culminate in a climactic story event. One of the most exciting and ambitious new series we have coming to Disney Plus in 2022 is Andor, a tense, nail-biting spy thriller in the Star Wars universe created by Tony Gilroy. Diego Luna will be back in the role of rebel spy Cassian Andor from Rogue One, and he will be joined by a fantastic new cast. We just began production in London two weeks ago. Last August at the D23 Expo in Anaheim, we announced the return of Ewan McGregor in the iconic role of Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi for a special event series on Disney+. Obi-Wan Kenobi begins 10 years after the dramatic events of Revenge of the Sith, where he faced his greatest defeat, the downfall and corruption of his best friend and Jedi apprentice, Anakin Skywalker turned evil Sith Lord, Darth Vader. Our fans will be thrilled that Hayden Christensen will be returning in the role of Darth Vader. This will be the rematch of the century. The series is directed by Deborah Chow, coming off the great work she did with us as a director on season one of The Mandalorian. Production will begin in March of next year. During our first year on Disney+, Plus, our animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars saw tremendous success with its epic seventh and final season. Building on the legacy of The Clone Wars, our new animated series The Bad Batch follows the specialist commandos of Clone Force 99 as they embark on new missions in a rapidly changing galaxy. This is The Bad Batch. Star Wars Visions will be a series of animated short films celebrating the Star Wars galaxy through the lens of the world's best anime creators. This anthology collection will bring 10 fantastic visions from several of the leading Japanese anime studios, offering a fresh and diverse cultural perspective to Star Wars. Lando Calrissian is the galaxy's smoothest, most notorious scoundrel and he'll return in a brand new event series for Disney+. Plus. 
Justin Simeon, creator of the critically acclaimed and hugely popular Dear White People, is developing the story with us now. A massive Star Wars fan himself, Justin has put together a reel to give you a sense of the style, tone, and irresistible swagger of our upcoming series, Lando. Leslie Headland, Emmy-nominated creator of the mind-bending series Russian Doll, is a boldly innovative filmmaker bringing her new Star Wars series to Disney+. The Acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take us into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. As we continue to develop new stories, the intersection of animation and visual effects offers new opportunities for us to explore. Lucasfilm Animation will be teaming up with our unparalleled visual effects team, ILM, to develop a special Star Wars adventure for Disney+, Plus, a droid story. This epic journey will introduce us to a new hero guided by our most iconic duo, R2-D2 and C-3PO, on a special mission known only to them. What could possibly go wrong? Our Star Wars theatrical slate is pushing forward into a new future era. As we announced recently, we're currently developing a brand new Star Wars feature with acclaimed filmmaker Academy Award winner Taika Waititi. Taika's approach to Star Wars will be fresh, unexpected, and unique. His enormous talent and sense of humor will ensure that audiences are in for an unforgettable ride. He's currently hard at work writing this next adventure. And to close today, I couldn't be more excited that our next Star Wars feature film will be directed by Patty Jenkins. Patty, director of the Wonder Woman franchise, will bring her inspired vision to Rogue Squadron. This story will introduce a new generation of starfighter pilots as they earn their wings and risk their lives in a boundary-pushing high-speed thrill ride. The legend of Rogue Squadron has been long beloved by Star Wars fans and will move us into a future era of the galaxy. Rogue Squadron will be released in theaters Christmas of 2023. As you can see, this is a new era for Star Wars and Lucasfilm, with expanded opportunities for continued innovation, high-quality storytelling, and cinematic experiences like never before. Okay, so we got a lot to look forward to in the future, but that doesn't help us get our Star Wars fixed right now. You know how we'll get through that, right? We're going to look at Chapter 10 of Darth Bane, so let's get to it. Bane's power was growing. In only a few months of training, he'd learned much about the Force and the power of the dark side. Physically, he felt stronger than ever before. In morning training runs, he could sprint at nearly full speed for five kilometers before he even began breathing heavily. His reflexes were quicker, his mind and senses were sharper than he possibly could have imagined. When necessary, he could channel the force through his body, giving him bursts of energy that allowed him to do seemingly impossible feats, perform full flips from a standing position, survive falls from incredible heights uninjured, leap vertically 10 meters or more. He was completely aware of his surroundings at all times, sensing the presence of others. Sometimes he could even get a feel of their intentions, vague impressions of their very thoughts. He was able to levitate larger objects now, and for longer periods. With each lesson, his power grew. It became easier and easier to command the Force and bend it to his will. 
And with each week, Ben realized he had surpassed another of the apprentices who had once been ahead of him. Less and less of his time was spent in the archive studying the ancient scrolls. His initial fascination with them had faded, swept away by the intensity of academy life. Absorbing the knowledge of masters long dead was a cold and sterile pleasure. The historical records were no competition for the feeling of exhilaration and power he felt when actually using the Force. Bane was part of the Academy and the Brotherhood of the Darkness. He was part of the now, not the ancient past. So as Bane is learning more about the practical Force, he finds himself less interested in the ancient writing of the past. He was starting to see his power grow, so he found himself spending less time in the archives. He could do amazing things now, jump, run, and levitate really large objects for long periods of time. But this is what got me. He said he could fall from great heights without getting hurt. There has been a lot of rumors going around that Mace Windu might be returning to the big screen. Could he have survived the fall? Only time will tell. He began to spend more time mingling with the other students. Already, he could sense that some of them were jealous, though none dared to act against him. Competition among the students was encouraged, and the masters allowed the rivalry to drift into the animosity and hatred that fueled the dark side. But there were harsh penalties for any apprentice caught interfering with or disrupting the training of another student. Of course, all the apprentices understood that the punishment was actually for the crime of being careless enough to get caught. Treachery was tacitly accepted, as long as it was done with enough cunning to avoid the notice of the instructors. Bane's phenomenal progress protected him from the machinations of his fellow students. No one could move against him without drawing the attention of Cordus or the other Sith Lords. Unfortunately, the extra attention made it difficult for Bane himself to use treachery, manipulation, or similar techniques to attain greater status within the Academy. There was, however, one sanctioned way students could bring a rival down. Lightsaber combat. The chosen weapon of both the Jedi and the Sith, the lightsaber was more than just a blade of energy capable of cutting through almost every material in the known galaxy. The lightsaber was an extension of the user and his or her command of the Force. Only those with strict mental discipline and total physical mastery could use the weapon effectively, or so Bane and the others had been taught. Few of the students actually possessed lightsabers yet. They still had to prove themselves worthy in the eyes of Cordis and the others. Yet that didn't keep Lord Kasim, the Twilic Blade Master, from instructing them in the styles and techniques they would use once they had finally earned their weapons. Each morning, the apprentices would gather on the wide-open roof of the temple to practice their drills and routines under his watchful eye, struggling to learn the exotic maneuvers that would bring them victory on the battlefield. Okay, some of the other students are starting to get jealous of Bane because all of his extra attention from the Sith Masters. And this is because of how far behind he is. And if a student messes with another student's walk of the dark side, they could get into trouble. But they would not get into trouble for the act they will get into trouble for getting caught. See, the Sith are always backwards in their thinking. That's what truly makes them ruthless. But there was a way to get at a fellow Sith. That was in lightsaber combat. And they had a blade master to teach them how to do it. Kasim was one of the best when it came to lightsaber combat. Here's a little info about Kasim. 
Kasim's strongest skill was an extraordinary swordsmanship with the lightsaber. Kasim quickly honed his skills under the tutelage of his highly skilled master and eventually surpassed him. Then he killed him. He was so good that some believed him to be the greatest in the galaxy. Perspiration was already running down the crown of Bane's head and into his eyes as he put his body through its paces. He blinked away the stinging sweat and redoubled his exertions, carving the air before him again and again and again with his training saber. All around him, other apprentices were doing the same. Each was struggling to conquer his or her own physical limitations and become more than just a warrior with a weapon. The goal was to become an extension of the dark side itself. Bane had begun by learning the basic techniques common to all seven traditional lightsaber forms. His first weeks had been spent in endless repetitions of defensive postures, overhand strikes, parries, and counter-strikes. By observing the natural tendencies of his students as they learned the basics, Lord Cassim determined which form would best match their style. For Bane, he chose the Gem So, Form 5. The fifth form emphasized strength and power, allowing Bane to use his size and muscles to his best advantage. Only after he was able to perform each of the moves of the Gem So to the satisfaction of Cassim was he allowed to begin the real training. Now, along with the other students at the academy, he spent the better part of an hour each morning practicing his techniques with his training saber under the Blade Master's watchful eye. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. Made of durasteel with blunted edges, the training savers were crafted specifically so that their balance and heft mimicked the energy beams projected by real lightsabers. A solid blow could inflict serious damage, but since a lightsaber did not work that way, each training blade was also covered with millions of toxin-filled barbs too small to see, fashioned from the microscopic ridge spines of the deadly Pelco bug a rare insect found only deep beneath the desert sands of the Valley of the Dark Lords on Korriban itself. With a direct hit, the minuscule barbs could pierce the weave of any fabric. The pelco venom would cause the flesh immediately to burn and blister. Temporary paralysis set in instantly at the point of infection, leaving any limbs struck all but useless. This provided an excellent way to mimic the effects of losing a hand, arm, or leg to a lightsaber blade. The morning was filled with the grunts of the apprentices and the swish, swish, swish as their blades sliced the air. In some ways, it reminded Bane of his military training. A group of soldiers united in the repetition of drills until the moves became instinctive. But there was no sense of camaraderie at the academy. The apprentices were rivals, plain and simple. In many ways, it wasn't that different from his days on Apatros. Now, however, the isolation was worth it. Here, they were teaching him the secrets of the dark side. Okay, so the apprentice had to learn the basics before Cassim would pick what form best suit them. After they got good enough with that form, then they could do in the ring against other apprentices. 
which is understandable. You wouldn't want to get into the ring with no skills. You would just get beat up. But what got me was the training saber that they used. They were meant to resemble a real lightsaber, so they had the same weight and all that. But they had a blunt edge with poisonous barbs on them. So if you got hit with it, it would feel like you got struck with a real lightsaber. But it was made from metal, and that would break some bones. Plus the poison would mimic getting hit by a real lightsaber. It would cause that part of the body to go numb like if it was cut off. This does not sound like fun to me. If someone hit me with one of these, the real fight would be on. As soon as I could feel that part of my body that was touched again, the fight would be going. We would be banging. Wrong! Kasim suddenly barked. He had been walking up and down the ranks of apprentices as they trained, but it now stopped right beside Bane. Strike with malice and precision. He reached out and seized Bane's wrist, turning it roughly and changing the angle of the training blade. You're coming in too high, he snapped. There is no room for error. He stayed at Bane's side for several seconds, watching to ensure the lesson had been properly learned. After several hard thrusts by Bane with the altered grip, the Blade Master nodded in approval and continued his rounds. Bane repeated the single move over and over, careful to maintain the height and angle of the blade exactly as Kasim had shown him teaching his muscles through countless repetitions until they could replicate it flawlessly each and every time. Only then would he move on to incorporating it into more complicated maneuvers. Soon, he was breathing heavily from his exertions. Physically, Kasim's training sessions couldn't measure up to hammering a cortosis vein with a hydraulic jack for hours at a time. But they were far more exhausting in other ways. They demanded intense mental focus, and attention to detail that went far beyond what was visible to the naked eye. True mastery of the blade required a combination of both body and mind. When two masters engaged in lightsaber combat, the action happened too quickly for the eye to see or the mind to react. Everything had to be done on instinct. The body had to be trained to move and respond without conscious thought. To accomplish this, Kasim made his students practice sequences carefully choreographed series of multiple strikes and parries drawn from their chosen style. The sequences were designed by the Blade Master himself so that each maneuver flowed smoothly into the next, maximizing attack efficiency while minimizing defensive exposure. Using a sequence in combat allowed the students to free their minds from thought as their bodies automatically continued through the moves. Using sequences was more efficient and much quicker than considering and initiating each strike or block on its own, providing an enormous advantage over an opponent unfamiliar with the technique. However, ingraining a new sequence so it could be properly executed was a long and laborious process. For many, it would take two to three weeks of training and drills. Longer if the sequence was derived from a style the student was still struggling to master. And even the tiniest mistake in the smallest of moves could render the entire sequence worthless. Kasim had spotted a potentially fatal flaw in Bane's technique. Now Bane was determined to fix it, even if it meant hours of practice on his own time. Bane was relentless in his pursuit of perfection, not just in his combat training, but in all his studies. He was a man on a mission. So Bane compared the training lessons to his military training and his working in the mines. And from the sound of it, Kasim didn't play around. 
get it right or work until you got it right. But there was a mental focus that they had to keep up. Plus, you had to use the force to control the movement. The idea is to let the blade become an extension of the force. To me, this just seems to be extremely boring. Doing the same thing over and over again. But repetition is the best way to master anything. And Kasim set everything up in a sequence, so that way you would have to do that sequence over and over and over again. That way you could get to do it without thinking. It would become an instinct or a natural movement. He said that when two masters are dueling, they move too fast for the eyes to see. This was because of their skills and the force. But Bane was going to be perfect, and he was relentless in his walk to gain perfection. Enough, Kasim's voice called out. At that single command, all the students stopped what they were doing and turned their attention to the Blade Master. He was standing at the head of the assemblage facing them. You may rest for ten minutes, he told them. Then the challenges will begin. Bane, along with most of the others, lowered himself into a meditative position, legs crossed and folded beneath him. Laying his trading saber on the ground beside him, he closed his eyes and slipped into a light trance, drawing on the dark side to rejuvenate his aching muscles and refresh his tired mind. He let the power flow through him, let his mind drift. As it often did, it drifted back to the first time he'd touched the dark side. Not the fumbling brushes he'd had back on Apatros, or during his days as a soldier, but a true recognition of the Force. It had been his third day here at the Academy. He had been applying the meditation techniques he'd learned the day before, when suddenly, he felt it. It was like the bursting of a dam, a raging river flooding through him, sweeping away all his failings, his weakness, his fear, his self-doubt. In that instant, he'd understood why he was here. At that moment, his transformation from Dez to Bane, from mere mortal to one of the Sith, had truly begun. Through power, I gained victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. Bane knew all about chains. Some were obvious. An abusive, uncaring father, grueling shifts in the mines, debts owed to a faceless, ruthless corporation. Others were more subtle. The Republic, and its idealistic promises of a better life that never materialized. The Jedi, and their vow to rid the galaxy of injustice. Even his friends in the Gloomwalkers had been a kind of chain. He'd cared for them, been responsible for them. Yet in the end, what use had they been when he'd needed them most? He understood now that personal attachments could only hold him back. Friends were a burden. He had to rely on himself. He had to develop his own potential, his own power. In the end, that was what it really came down to, power. And above all else, the dark side promised power. So in this part, Bane was thinking back to the first time he felt the Force. Not the first time he felt the Force as dead, but the first time he had felt the Force since he became a Sith. It had revealed that others would hold him back. The dark side would give him power. The kind of power that would set him free. Attachment to people was kind of a chain. It was kind of like being in jail. Caring for other people was a burden. They would eventually just hold him back. But the dark side promised him power. And he wanted all that power for himself. And I could understand wanting power. It is kind of like how the rich think. They are in control of everything, if we want to admit it or not. 
But if someone is only trying to make money or have power, then when did they got time to enjoy life? What is the point of living if you never enjoy it? He heard the sounds of movement around him, the soft shuffle of robes as the other apprentices rose from their meditations and made their way toward the challenge ring. He grabbed his training saber with one hand and sprang to his feet to join them. At the end of each session, the class would gather in a wide, irregular circle at the top of the temple. Any student could step into the circle and issue a challenge to another. Kasim would observe the duels closely, and once it was over, he would analyze the action for the class. Those who won would be praised for their performance, and their status in the informal hierarchy of the academy would rise. Those who lost would be chastised for their failings, as well as suffering a blow to their prestige. When Bane had first begun his training, many of the students had eagerly called him out. They knew he was a neophyte in the force, and they were eager to take down the heavily muscled giant in front of their classmates. At first, he had declined the challenges. He knew they were the quickest way to gain prestige at the academy, but he wasn't foolish enough to be drawn into a battle he was guaranteed to lose. In the past months, however, he'd worked hard to learn his style and refine his technique. He learned new sequences quickly, and when Kasim himself had commented on his progress, Bane had felt confident enough to begin accepting the challenges. He wasn't victorious every time, but he was winning far more duels than he was losing, slowly climbing his way to the top of the ladder. Today, he felt ready to take another step. The apprentices were standing three rows deep, forming a ring of bodies around a clearing in the center roughly ten meters in diameter. Kasim stepped into the middle. He didn't speak, but merely tilted his head, a sign that it was time for the challenges to begin. Bane stepped into the center before anyone else could make a move. A challenge for Harg, he announced in ringing tones. I accept. Came the reply from somewhere in the crowd on the opposite side. The apprentices parted to let the one challenged pass. Kasim gave a slight bow to each combatant and stepped to the clearing's edge to give them room. Fohark was a Makurth. In many ways, he reminded Bane of the Trandoshans he'd fought in his days with the Gloomwalkers. Both species were bipedal Saurians, lizard-like humanoids covered in leathery green scales. But the Makurths had four curved horns growing from the top of their heads. Early in Bane's training, he'd fought Fohark, and he'd lost. Badly. The McCurth was nocturnal by nature. Like the miners of the night shift on Apatros, however, he'd grown accustomed to an unnatural schedule in order to train with the rest of the apprentices at the academy. During their first duel, Bane had underestimated Fohark, expecting him to be sluggish and slow during the daylight hours. He wouldn't make that mistake twice. As Kasim and the apprentices watched in silence, the two combatants circled each other in the ring, training sabers held out before them in standard ready stances. The McCurth's breath came in grunts and growls from his flaring nostrils as he tried to intimidate his human opponent. From time to time, he'd give a short bellow and shake his four-horned lizard's head while flashing his savage teeth. The last time he'd faced the green-scaled, snorting demon of an apprentice, Bane had been intimidated by Foharg's act. Now he simply ignored the posturing. 
Now you would have to challenge others and win to rise among the other students in the academy. Plus, you would get special treatment from the masters. They would do special trainings for those who won in the ring. But Bane had been a little reluctant to enter the ring. But as his power has grown and he has had a few duels, he has lost some and he has won some. At least he wasn't dumb enough to challenge people that he couldn't beat. I would have turned them all down. You ain't gonna hit me with one of those training sabers. That ain't gonna happen. But Bane does challenge someone today. He challenged Forhawk. Forhawk was a McCurth male student. The McCurth were sentient bipedal Surian covered in green scales. Members of the species typically possess four horns on their head, two curled down from the top of their skull, while two curled up from the side of their cranium. They were nocturnal carnivores who bore savage-looking teeth. The McCurth could produce a terrifying scream, which they did before entering into combat. And Bane had already lost the four hog once in the ring, badly. So he's going to try his luck again. Bane lunged out with a simple overhand strike, but Foharg responded with a quick parry to deflect the blow to the side. Instead of the crackle and hum of blades of pure energy crossing, there was a loud clang as the weapons clashed. Immediately, the combatants spun away from each other and resumed their ready positions. Bane rushed forward, his blade ascending diagonally from right to left in a long, swift arc. Foharg managed to redirect the impact with his own weapon, but lost his balance and stumbled back. Bane tried to press his advantage, his training saber arcing up from left to right. His opponent spun out of harm's way, backpedaling quickly to create space. Bane broke off the half-completed sequence and settled back into the ready position. Back on Apatros, his latent abilities in the Force had allowed him to anticipate and react to the moves of his foe. Here, however, every opponent enjoyed the same advantage. As a result, victory required a combination of the Force and physical skill. Bane had worked on acquiring that physical skill over the past months. As this ability grew, he was able to devote less and less of his mental energy to the physical actions of thrust, parry, and counter-thrust. This allowed him to keep his mind focused so he could use the force to anticipate his opponent's moves, while at the same time obscuring and confusing his enemy's own precognitive senses. The last time he and Thoharg had fought, Bane had still been a novice. He had only learned a handful of sequences. Now, he knew almost a hundred, and he was able to transition smoothly from the end of one sequence into the beginning of another, opening up a wider range of attack and defense combinations. And more options made it more difficult for the foe to use the force to anticipate his actions. Foharg, despite his terrifying appearance, was smaller and lighter than his human opponent. Physically outmatched by the brute force of Bane's Form 5, he was forced to rely on the defensive style of Form 3 to keep his larger opponent's overpowering attacks at bay. Spinning his training saber in a quick flourish, Bane leapt high in the air and came crashing down from above. Fohard parried the attack, but was knocked to the ground. He rolled onto his back and barely managed to get his saber up in time to block Bane's next slashing attack. A chorus of metal on metal rang out as Bane's blows descended like rain. The McCurth kept him from landing a direct hit with a masterful defensive flurry, then swept Bane off his feet with a leg whip, leaving them both supine. They flipped to their feet simultaneously, mirror images, and their sabers met with another resounding crash before they disengaged once again. 
There were some whispers and mutters from the assembled crowd, but Bane did his best to tune them out. They had thought the battle was over, as had Bane himself. He was disappointed that he hadn't been able to finish off his fallen opponent, but he knew victory was near. Foharg's survival had extracted a heavy toll. He was breathing in ragged gasps now, his shoulders slumping. Bane rushed Foharg again. This time, however, the McCurth didn't back away. He stepped forward with a quick thrust, switching from Form 3 to the more precise and aggressive Form 2. Bane was caught off guard by the unexpected maneuver, and was a microsecond slow in recognizing the change. His parry attempt knocked the tip of the blade away from his chest, only to have it slice across his right shoulder. The crowd gasped. Foharg howled in victory, and Bane screamed in pain as the saber slipped to the ground from his suddenly nerveless fingers. Mindlessly, Bane used his other hand to shove his opponent in the chest. Foharg reeled backward, and Bane rolled away to safety. Scrambling to his feet, Bane extended his left hand to the training saber lying on the ground three meters away. It sprang up and into his palm, and he once again assumed the ready position, his right arm dangling uselessly at his side. Some Sith learned to fight with either hand, but Bane hadn't yet reached that advanced stage. The weapon felt awkward and clumsy as he held it. Left-handed, he was no match for Foharg. The fight was over. His opponent sensed it as well. Defeat is bitter, human. He growled in basic, his voice deep and menacing. I have bested you. You have lost. He wasn't asking Bane to yield. Surrender was never an option. He was simply taunting him, publicly humiliating him in front of the other students. You trained for weeks to challenge me. Fulhard continued, drawing out his mockery. You failed. Victory is mine again. Then come finish me! Bane snapped back. There wasn't much else he could say. Everything his enemies said in his heavily accented basic was true, and the words cut far deeper than the blunted training saber's edge possibly could. This ends when I choose, the McCurth replied, refusing to be baited. The eyes of the other apprentices burned into Bane. He could feel them drinking in his suffering as they stared at him. They resented him, resented the extra attention he'd been receiving from the masters. Now, they reveled in his failure. You are weak, Foharg explained, casually twirling his own saber in a complex and intricate pattern. You are predictable. Stop it, Bane wanted to scream. End this, finish me. But despite the emotion building up inside him, he refused to give his opponent the satisfaction of saying another word. Instead, he let the all-but-useless saber fall once more to the ground. In the background, he could see the Blademaster watching intently, curious to see how the confrontation would reach its inevitable end. The Masters cause at you. They give you extra time and attention. More than the others. More than me. Bane barely even heard the words anymore. His heart was pounding so loud he could hear the blood coursing through his veins. Literally quaking with impotent rage, he lowered his head and dropped to one knee, exposing his bare neck. Despite this, you are still my inferior, Bane of the Sith. Bane. Something in the way Fulhark said it caused Bane to glance up. 
It was the same way his father used to say the word. That name is mine, Bane whispered, his voice low and threatening. Nobody uses it against me. Fohag either didn't hear him or didn't care. He took a leisurely step forward. Bane. Worthless. An insignificant nothing. The masters wasted their time on you. Time better spent on other students. You are well named, for you truly are this academy's Bane. Bane screamed, thrusting his good hand out, palm forward, even as Fohag leapt in to finish him off. Dark side energy erupted from his open palm to catch his opponent in midair, hurling him back to the edge of the crowd where he landed at Kasim's feet. The master watched with an intrigued but wary expression. Bane slowly clenched his fist and rose to his feet. On the ground before him, Thorharg was writhing in agony, clutching at his throat and gasping for breath. Unlike the Makurth, Bane had nothing to say to his helpless opponent. He squeezed his fist harder, feeling the force rushing through him like a divine wind as he crushed the life out of his foe. Thorharg's heels pounded out a staccato rhythm on the temple stone roof as his body convulsed. He began to gurgle and pink froth welled up from between his lips. Enough, Bane, Kasim said in a cold, even voice. Though he stood only centimeters away from the death throes of his student, his eyes were fixed on the one still standing. A final surge of power roared up in the core of Bane's being and exploded out into the world. In response, Fohag's body went stiff and his eyes rolled back in his head. Bane released his hold on the force and his fallen enemy, and the McCurth's body went limp as the last vestiges of life ebbed away. Now it's enough, Bane said, turning his back on the corpse and walking toward the stairs that led back inside the temple. The circle of students quickly opened a path for him to pass. He didn't need to look back to know that Kasim was watching him with great interest. So the first time they fought, Bane only knew a couple of sequences. Now he knew over a hundred of them. Also, he was bigger than Forhawk, which gave Bane an advantage over his foe. Bane was relentless in his attack. He came at Forhawk with all the power he could muster, pushing him back and knocking him down. Then Forhawk switched his form and caught Bane by surprise, catching Bane right on the right shoulder with his blade. Bane dropped his saber and rolled away. Then using the force, he called the blade to his left hand, but he had never trained to use both hands. Okay, Bane, it's time to call a quit. This dude is going to jack you up. Forhawk starts to mock Bane, screaming out, it is over, I have bested you. Bane called for Forhawk just to finish the duel, to cut him down and end the battle. But Forhawk just kept taunting him. Then Forhawk said the wrong thing. He called Bane the Bane of the Sith, using his name in the same way that his father used to use it. Then Bane uses the force to push him through the air, making him fly out of the ring and land at Kasim's feet. Then Bane uses the force to crush the life from his foe. Bane felt the presence of someone following him down the stairs from the temple roof long before he heard the footsteps. He didn't change his pace, but he did stop at the first landing and turn to face whoever it was. He half expected to see Lord Cassim, but instead of the Blade Master, he found himself staring into the orange eyes of Sirak, another apprentice at the Academy. 
or rather, the top apprentice at the Academy. Sirak was a Zabrak, one of three apprenticing here on Korriban. Zabrak tended to be ambitious, driven, and arrogant. Perhaps it was these traits that made the Force Sensitives of the race so strong in the ways of the Dark Side. And Sirak was the perfect embodiment of those characteristics. He was far and away the strongest of the three. Wherever Sirak went, the other two usually followed, trailing at his heel like obedient servants. They made a colorful trio. Red-skinned Loke and Yivra, and pale yellow Sirak. But right now, the other two were conspicuously absent. There were rumors that Sirak had begun studying the ways of the Dark Side under Lord Cordes nearly twenty years ago, long before the Academy at Korriban had been resurrected. Bane didn't know if the rumors were true, and he hadn't thought it wise to ask about it. The Eridonian Zabrak was both powerful and dangerous. So far, Bane had done his best to avoid drawing the attention of the Academy's most advanced student. Apparently, that strategy was no longer an option. The rush of adrenaline he'd felt as he'd ended Fulharic's life was fading, along with the confidence and sense of invincibility that had led to his dramatic exit. Vane wasn't exactly afraid as the Zabrak approached him, but he was wary. In the dim torchlight of the temple, Sirak's pale yellow skin had taken on a sickly waxen hue. Unbidden, it brought back memories of Bane's first year working the mines in Apatros. A crew of five, three men and two women, had been trapped in a cave-in. They had survived the collapsing tunnel by escaping into a reinforced safety chamber, dug out of the rock. But noxious fumes released in the collapse had seeped into their haven and killed them all before rescue teams could dig them out. The complexion of their bloated corpses was the exact same color as Sirak's the color of a slow, agonizing death. Bane shook his head, pushing the memory away. That life belonged to Dez, and Dez was gone. What do you want? He asked, trying to keep his voice calm. You know why I am here, was the icy response. Fohark. Was he a friend of yours? Bane was genuinely confused. With the exception of his fellow Zabrak, Sirak rarely mingled with the other students. In fact, many of the accusations Fulharg had leveled at Bane, such as preferential treatment from the masters, could easily be applied to Sirak as well. The Makurth was neither friend nor enemy, was the haughty reply. He was beneath my notice, as were you, until now. Bane's only reply was a steady, unblinking stare. The flickering torchlight reflecting off the Zabrak's pupils made it seem as if hungry flames looked away at the inside of his skull. You are an intriguing opponent, Sirak whispered, taking a step closer. Formidable, at least compared with the other so-called apprentices here. I am watching you now. I am waiting. He reached out slowly and pressed his finger into Bane's chest. Bane had to fight the urge to take a step back. I do not issue challenges, the Zabrak continued. I have no need to test myself against a lesser opponent. Flashing a cruel smile, he lowered his finger and took a step back. However, when you fool yourself into believing you are ready, you will inevitably challenge me. 
I shall be looking forward to it. With that, he brushed past Bane on the narrow landing, bumping him slightly with the shoulder, as if unaware of him, then continuing on down the stairs to the level below. The message of that slight bump was not lost on Bane. He knew Sirak was trying to intimidate him, and to goad him into a confrontation Bane wasn't ready for. He wasn't about to fall for the trap. Instead, he stood motionless at the top of the landing, refusing to turn and watch Sirak depart. Only when he heard the sounds of the rest of the class descending from the roof did he move again, spinning on his heel and continuing down the stairs to the lower levels and the privacy of his own room. So after Bane kills Fallhog using the force, he walks to the stairs and exits the training area. As he was walking down the stairs, he feels the presence of someone following him. When he turns to see who it is, he finds that it is Serac, the top apprentice at the academy. Serac is a male Zabrak that is favored by many of the Sith Masters, especially Cordis that believes him to be the Sith Ari. Serac was renowned at the academy for his strength in the dark side and his skill with the saber, but Bane had done well to avoid the top student. Bane asks Zabrak what he wanted. Serac tells Bane that he was there about Forhog, that Forhog and Bane were beneath his notice until now, but now he would be watching Bane. Then he tells Bane that he does not issue challenges, but he knows that Bane will sooner or later challenge him, basically baiting Bane into challenging him before Bane was ready. But Bane was smarter than that. He knew he could not beat the Zabrak. Uh, you think? This dude had been training for like 20 years and Bane had only just started his training. This guy would break Bane real quick, crush him like a bug hitting the windshield of a car doing 60. But that's where this chapter comes to an end. To find out what's going to happen, you will have to tune in to the next episode. So we hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.